Welcome to the Innovative Mindset with your host, Harrison Kelly. The Innovative Mindset was created to give easy access to people with innovative stories and livelihoods that can teach valuable lessons to everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode four with your host, Harrison Kelly, and his guest, Tom Gorenser. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Happy to bring another great guest on the podcast today. We got Tom Gorenser. How are you doing, Tom? Good. How are you doing, Harrison? I'm hanging in there. Excited to have a fellow SEO guy on. That's a, this is a first, but I'm, I'm very much excited. So uh, to get things rolling right off the bat, Tom, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, how you got into journalism and how that kind of transitioned into SEO as well. Yeah, sure. I had a, um, you know, I, I had a business up in Maine. Uh, my wife and I used to live up there and I was a uh, video producer and I had a great business. I had a great clientele out of Boston. You know, I'd drive down to Boston a couple times a month and drive back home and edit the video and write it. I had a great business going. It was really profitable and I loved it. Well, we decided that we wanted to move uh, to West Virginia for its mix of California activities and Appalachia prices. And we did that. And, you know, I was by then I was so like kind of arrogant about my ability to run a business that I thought I can make a living anywhere. West Virginia would be fine. Well, it wasn't fine because West Virginia, we're in the middle of the woods, beautiful natural area, great white water, rock climbing, anything you'd want, but no jobs, like none. And so I struggled for a couple of years and my savings was dwindling. And now we had a kid on the way. And uh, here we were two weeks away from our first child being born and I had burned through all my savings, didn't know what I was going to do and talked to a friend of mine who said, yeah, I'm making a living as a full-time novelist now. You know, I, I, I don't have to write any corporate stuff anymore. So I said, corporate stuff. Well, do you have any clients who, uh, you know, who, who you used to work for that you don't have to work for who are looking for somebody? And he said, actually I might. So he got me a job blogging and it was for $40,000 a year, not great money. But I took this one blog, they were starting a new blog, and they had zero traffic. So I took them from zero traffic to 600,000 page views a month in, uh, in about a year and a half. And just by writing, I wrote about 700 articles for them. And uh, you know, I wrote an article every single day. I was writing 10,000 words a week, published copy, and it was really hard. But I learned a lot during that time about SEO. Is the first like three or six months, we didn't get any traffic at all. And then I started changing my approach and figuring things out and started getting traffic. And then we were up to 600,000 a month with a spike to 800,000 one month. Um, so then, but then that, that gig, I ended up losing that because there, there was a big, I won't get into it, but there was a big Google update and it, it tanked. They had another site that had 20 million readers a month. And uh, plus the site that I was working on, which was much smaller than that, but growing fast. But then both sites lost 75% of their traffic in uh, two weeks. So the 20 million site lost 75% of its traffic and the site that I had. And, and when that happened, they said, we got to do some layoffs and we're, we're shuttering this site. So there I was, you know, now a second kid on the way, no job, uh, middle of the woods, didn't know what to do. Thought, well, I know I got one job writing. Maybe I can find another one ended up finding another gig and uh, this was for a, a career site called zeddy.com and they had 1 million readers a month already 
And uh, between me and two other writers, we took them to three and a half million readers a month pretty quickly. And that was based on things I already knew and based on this is my biggest client still. Uh, his name is Kuba Kozej, and he's a Polish guy. It's a Polish company, Zeddy.com, a fantastic company, career site. They got a resume software as a service. Um, but I can't give specifics because of the NDA that I signed with them. But he built this thing in two years, this, this website. He sold it for well into the tens of millions of dollars. And the reason is because he got so much web traffic. I mean, basically, that traffic turned into money for his business because his readers became customers. And uh, he got that, he built that business and built all that traffic and got all that money and managed to make that tens of millions of dollar deal just by understanding how Google thinks. It's crazy interesting and it's so true. Obviously the book, <laughs> Think Like Google that you wrote, we'll get into that shortly, kind of delves yeah. into that in quite detail. But um, before we get into your successes, I would love to hear, you said those first several months you really struggled to get any traffic at all. What do you think some of the biggest mistakes you were making early on that a lot of people that are new to blogging or producing content in general might be making? Excellent question, Harrison. Yeah, the biggest mistake was just not knowing what people were going to be interested in. I mean, I was ranking for things. You know, I was I was writing articles and saying, oh, I want to write a really good article. I want to rank for this topic. Well, I wasn't choosing the right topics. I was I was picking things like it was a money site. And so they, they told me what to write at first. They said, oh, I want you to write an article about, you know, how to fund your 401k. So I'm like, okay. So I'd write an article about that and I'd rank for it. And uh, he'd be like, great job. You rank on page one. You know, you're the third result. But uh, then we'd watch our traffic not go anywhere. You know, nobody cared. <laughs> nobody cared about uh, how to fund your 401k. And so for three months, I wrote articles like that, just about, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you use a, a secured credit card or, you know, articles like that, that, you know, I guess would be high converting articles, but we just weren't getting any traffic for. And what they told me was our number one goal right now is to get traffic because they're number one. They weren't trying to convert. This site was strictly ad based. So they said, you know, we, we want to build millions of readers. We want to make money off ads. You just, your goal is just to get traffic. So that's what I started out trying to do. And like I said, we were picking all the wrong, all the wrong topics at first. Interesting. And it's so important to, to really go on Google and figure out, what exactly it is that people tend to be looking for because if if it's not something that people want to read it's not going to be in that top five so yeah super interesting yeah it's it's a great point uh another thing i'd like to talk about we're getting a little more into technical seo so you might have to uh break it down in simpler terms but but how is the domain authority on these sites for people unfamiliar domain authority is kind of a ranking that a lot of the seo tools that people like tom and i tend to use it's a ranking out of 100 of how high quality Google views the website. And a lot of the time, that's a factor in how well a site ranks. Did these sites have good domain authority to start? Or were you able to kind of build it up to get better domain authority? Uh, starting out, I think they had like a 20 or 25 domain authority. So like so that's 20, not too bad. It's not terrible. We like, weren't starting okay. from zero. Yeah, they bought they bought the uh, domain from somebody else who had ran it for a while and, and didn't didn't do anything with it, but they, those people who ran it for a while, like if you buy a domain versus starting one from scratch, you know, you start with a little domain authority. You start from scratch, you get zero. They started by buying it and they had about 25 and they had this accountant write like 10 articles for it, like two years before I came on and then they la let it lapse. 
So it had some domain authority to start with. We built it up to, I think we built it up to like 50 by the end. Um, so it still wasn't, you know, super high. It wasn't like, you know, some sites that are, have a lot of clout like Inc or Fortune or stuff like that. They'll have like an 85 or something like that. We weren't up there, but I think we were like 50, 55, 60, something like that uh, by the time I, by the time I left it. Huh. It's interesting. And for those unfamiliar, what do you think the key is in raising that domain authority? Just writing quality content, stuff that people tend to resonate with? Yeah, it's that. And then it's also getting a lot of backlinks, which again, comes from writing a lot of quality content. There's a lot of people who say, well, you got to do an outreach campaign and, and people do have success with that. Google doesn't like it. You know, if you go to like another site that has a good domain authority and you say, hey, I'll link to you if you link to me. And then, you know, you, you have people that work for you doing that all the time. Or if, or if you're a one, a one person shop, you do it yourself. And then that works, but Google doesn't like it. They're going to find a way around it. They're going to find a way. They will actually, if they see you doing that, they figure out you're doing that, they'll actually penalize you. I, I worked for a site once that was, had a great outreach campaign where they were, you know, they were uh, writing, actually guest blogging for other sites for free. They had some of their writers doing that and they were really doing well with it. And they were getting a lot of backlinks and Google somehow figured out they were doing it. And they had like a ton of traffic and that traffic went to like 10, they lost like 90% of their traffic overnight wow. because Google hit them with a penalty and Google told them, you know, we, we penalized you, you're in trouble and you better stop. And here's why, and you better stop it. And so they had to go and like, uh, go back to a bunch of the people or I guess dis disavow. I don't know how this works. I'm not that technical on this stuff, but they had to go back, go in and disavow a bunch of the links and say like, we, we disagree with these, like, don't, don't count these for us, Google. And then after months and months, Google finally came back and said, okay, we lifted the penalty. Your traffic's going to come back now. Google so, finally uh, said, we forgive you. <laughs> yeah, so you gotta be, so you gotta be careful. So the, the real, the best way to get backlinks is just to write really quality content. Like for that money site, I wrote, uh, I paid attention to the principles in the book, uh, think like Google, which I wrote after, after I did that for this site. But um, I learned these things in the book by working for this site and I got over 3000 quality backlinks from, you know, this was a tiny little money site, no name money site. Um, it didn't have, like I said, when we started out, it had very low domain authority, but I was quickly outranking sites like fortune Forbes and the economist and the BBC and CNN and CBS for all the terms that I was trying for. And through using the principles that I learned. And on top of that, I was getting backlinks from those sites as well, like really quality backlinks, just by virtue of writing content that really served the reader. Very interesting. Yeah, that was one of the questions that not only I had, but I actually was talking with my boss saying that I was interviewing you. And that was his biggest question was, all right, you're producing this stellar content and you're seeing these rankings go up super quickly. Um, so we wanted to see like what your backlink strategy was. It really is. It just comes down to producing content that resonates with people. And I guess that leads to people linking back to you, right? If you rank high with an article that's different than what's already out there, because Google doesn't need more content, right? Any, anytime you go into Google search bar and type anything, it's going to say like, oh, we found 13 billion pages of results. <laughs> they don't need more content. They need better content. So if you, if you go through and you look at all the existing content for the term you're trying to rank for, the last thing you want to do is say, okay, well, I need to write an article just like this because that, nobody needs that. 
they've already got it. You need to find a way, some way to write a better article. And that's what my book is all about. And that's what, uh, that's what's got me to the point where now, you know, I'm a regular contributor to the HP tech takes blog. Um, you know, I, I write all the time for Zeddy.com. I, I just landed Salesforce as a client. Um, you know, doing all this, doing all this kind of work because I'm able to rank because I'm able to, I'm able to figure out what the reader wants and then deliver it. That's great. And we'll get into that momentarily because I, I read the whole book and, and obviously oh, cool. loved it. It really, uh, it really spoke to me as somebody who's also doing SEO content stuff. But one question that I kind of wanted to touch on, that's a little bit of a side note. Uh, you just mentioned some pretty high profile clients that you were able to land. So I wanted to identify the fact that you're based in West Virginia is particularly interesting to me because you think of tech and you think of a lot of these big businesses. They're in places like Manhattan, Los Angeles, like big household name cities. I was curious how you've been able to build such a rapport in such a more rural, like smaller state. Well, that's the beauty of tech, right? Is tech is uh, more and more and more. It's not about where you're located. I remember my brother telling me, my brother and I had this conversation. Uh, it must have been 30 years ago. We were talking about how the internet is, you know, starting to connect people who aren't necessarily located together. Uh, because if you think about it, like, you know, a city is like, you know, you you take a gas cloud out in space, right? And it's got all these atoms, and they're cold, and they're not really doing anything. And then you draw them together by gravity into a sun and suddenly they're bouncing off each other and they're reacting and they're, they're generating heat and light. And that's kind of how I think of a city is like you take all these people who are in the middle of nowhere and you pull them together into a city and suddenly they're sparking off each other and they're coming up with ideas and they're making things happen. And that's the cool part of a city, but the internet and, and, you know, 5g and all these technologies that are emerging all the time, zoom you know that everybody's learning how to love and hate zoom at the same time because of this pandemic that is really pulling together people who are out in the middle of space like people like me who are no out in the middle of nowhere you can take advantage of tech to suddenly be part of that you know that bright sun with the light and the heat and the people sparking off each other um so that's uh something that i wanted to take advantage of when i moved here is like well i can't get a job working for clients here in the middle of West Virginia, because they're going to be able to pay me like $3 an hour, right? So, but, you know, suddenly, I can, I can live in the middle of West Virginia, have the $3 an hour cost of living. And, you know, people in cities are looking at me and saying, well, you're, you know, you're slightly cheaper than the people who live here in the city. Most, a lot of times, it's actually not, I, I still end up making the same rate, because they have some ethics things to deal with. They can't be like, well, we're going to go and get this guy for cheap because he lives in West Virginia. But, uh, but yeah, that's what it's all about. It's all about using tech to, to write about tech and to be able to find the, the big clients who need people to write about tech. It's so, it's so true. In a lot of ways, the internet has become somewhat of like a globalized city. The point that, I mean, we met through LinkedIn, which is crazy cool to me. You reaching out via LinkedIn was awesome. But I mean, yeah. I've had conversations and dialogues with people from from countries I really don't know much about just because I, I met them over the internet. And it, it's cool to me that 10 years ago, it was like, you met somebody on MySpace. That is so strange. But now it's uh, it's not only acceptable, but it it's great as far as launching a business and growing a business. So yeah. I think it's wonderful that you're not limited or confined to whatever location you're based in anymore. Absolutely. And hopefully what it'll do is because now, you know, I, I, I think 
you'll have people who live in developing countries who are suddenly able to make a decent living because they can go on the internet. And I really hope that won't be, some people might be afraid that like, oh no, that's going to make, you know, the cost of, uh, or the, uh, the pay rate in the United States go down because suddenly there'll be these people over in Pakistan and Poland and wherever who can do it so much cheaper. But I think what'll happen is you'll see those economies will grow and then those markets will grow. So it, it won't be like, it'll be more like, it'll equalize everything you know it'll be like it'll bring their pay up and then it'll create more markets and then you know our pay will go up too and everybody will it's kind of like a rising tide that's going to lift all boats it's so true and i mean it's so stereotypical to bring gary v up whenever you're talking about business but but one of the things that he says that really resonates with me is the fact that there's room for everyone to be winners you know like yeah. Technically, you and I are competitors because we're in the same space, but there's no reason that there should be any issue, especially these days. Uh, there's so many businesses out there that are looking for SEO help, you know, so it's not like, oh, I can't be friends with Tom. Tom's going to steal my clients. Like, no, you have your clients. I have mine. There's room for everybody to succeed. So, yeah, I'm excited to watch those developing countries kind of catch up and watch how social media and just the Internet in general is, is changing that entire dynamic. Yeah, it's definitely an exciting time to be alive. It's a scary time for a lot of reasons, but it, but it's exciting as well. And I think you just kind of have to focus on the exciting parts of it. <laughs> exactly. Got to try and stay positive. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I, I find that very cool that you're, like you said, you found a way to, to live in a place that's like California as far as the nature and the, the beauty, but you're not dealing with those prices and you're still making connections in worthwhile places. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's great. Awesome. So with that, we'll kind of get into the book a little bit. So Think Like Google, amazing book, definitely recommend it to anybody out there. Uh, to, to kind of summarize it briefly from my takeaways, a lot of it is doing the right research before you write the article. It seems like it's one of the most important aspects. So Tom, I would love if you could kind of delve into the process that you identify in the book of doing that content research and coming yeah. up with the right strategy to do something different than what's already out there. Yeah, and I and I don't want people people, you know, research is such a dirty word. People are like, "Oh, that sounds like that's going to be boring. That's not what I'm about." And I and I feel I feel that, you know, I I agree with that myself. I think it all, it all comes down to, you know, what are you passionate about? And the the only way, you know, the the subhead of the book is use SEO and empathy to rank, convert and profit no matter how much they change the rules and that, that empathy word is the key word here because if you want to rank, you have to start by building empathy for your searcher. That research comes into that, but you're going to use it in a counterintuitive way. You're not going to research to be like, well, what data do I need to blah, blah, blah. No, it's not that. It's you need to, you're basically a salesperson when you write an article. You are, you are selling, whether you're a copywriter or not, you know, you may be writing just an article. But whatever you're writing, you are trying to sell that reader your article. Um, so, so you know the way to the way to that Google used to analyze uh, a page used to come down to keywords because you know they were a bunch of programmers and they were like, well, we want to make money by putting the best content up there, and we want to make you know giant Scrooge McDuck piles sizes uh, size piles of money. Right. And they want to they want to go swimming in it or they want to use it for humanitarian efforts, whatever you think is the right thing. It's they want to make a lot of money. They're in business to make money and they do that by getting ads. And how do they get How do they get ads? How do they get ad revenue? Well, they get ad revenue by pulling in more eyeballs. It's just a game of eyeballs. So they have to serve up the best content to draw more eyeballs to make more money. 
So the way they used to be, they used to identify the best content was by saying, well, we have, you know, these keywords and we have an algorithm that will analyze a page of content and say, does it have the right keywords in the right places? And if so, we'll rank it high. And if not, we'll rank it lower. Well, people started gaming that system. People started saying, well, we'll just stick the right keywords in. And then you have, you know, really awkwardly written content. If you have an article about, uh, you know, toilet valves, it'll say the word toilet valve in it like 500 times and three times in each sentence. And, and Google started getting wise to that and saying, well, that's keyword stuffing. We're going to penalize that. And so people were like, okay, well, don't put it too much. Put it, you know, 3% or 5% in every article. And then Google said, well, now people are gaming that. And so they, they keep changing the rules and changing the rules on us because they don't want us to figure out their rules. That's not what they want us to do. They're, they're trying to get us to do something else. And the rules are just trying to push us in that direction. And what so many people make the mistake because I mean, Google had 70 algorithm updates in the last three years alone, estimated. They don't tell us their algorithm updates, but smart people who analyze this stuff have told us it's, it's about 70 in the past three years. And so what most people do with their content strategy is they're like, oh, we're starting to see our content go up and up and up and up. And then boom, there's an update. And like, oh, we just lost 10%. We just lost 20% of our traffic every month. And then it goes up and up and up and again. And then boom, another update and they lost 50%. Or like the site I originally worked for, they lost 75% in, in, a, in two weeks. And, uh, and they tried to get it back for two months and couldn't. And they ended up having to shut out the project. So um, you know, if you, if you chase those updates, you're going to have to deal with that ebb and flow. But if you figure out what Google is trying to get you to do, then you're not going to have to deal with that, that sporadic, you know, fits and starts two steps forward, one step back. You're not going to have to deal with that stuff. You're going to be able to, if you can go where Google's trying to get you to go, then you're going to rank no matter what. And so that's where that research comes in because, uh, if let's think about like the first thing you need to do is figure out, okay, well, what is Google trying to get me to do? Right. Cause if, if, if that's the truth that, you know, you can go to where Google's trying to get you to go and then you'll rank no matter what, then what is that thing they're trying to get you to do? Well, they're trying to get you to write the best content. And now you're, now you, that's it kind of seems like a, an empty answer, right? Cause you're like, Oh, thanks so much, Tom. I just need to write great content. I understand. But, but no, there is a, there's a specific way to write great, great content so that Google will like it, so that the reader will like it. And that comes down to, again, you're trying to sell your article. The, the number one rule of sales, there's this great sales uh, interview question. When you interview a salesperson for a job, a new salesperson, you say, okay, sell me this pen. So, uh, so in fact, I had to write an article about this and I had to figure out what's the best answer to sell me this pen. Well. I won't get into a long drawn out story here, but, but I ended up ranking really high. I was number one for a long time for sell me this pen. I outranked like HubSpot and Salesforce. I think I've slipped down cause I haven't updated it to like slot number three or four right now. But, um, but the correct answer is not, you know, well, this pen writes under whipped cream. It writes in outer space. It'll grow your hair back. It'll, you know, it'll, it'll make you live forever. It's not BS and it's not, trying to get you to write about the benefits or the, the features of the pen or anything like that. The number one answer, the, the right answer, if you're trying to get a sales job is to say, when somebody asks you, sell me this pen is to say, well, do you ever buy pens? You know, what kind of pens, what kind of pens do you like? 
Um, do you buy pens or does your secretary buy pens? Do you like expensive pens that look really flashy to sign contracts? Or do you, do you prefer cheaper pens that you can just like toss away when you're done? You know, what, what, do you, what interests you about? The, the correct answer is to have a qualifying conversation with the person, with the, the prospective uh, client. To, to ask, to learn something about the client, you know, have some empathy. Don't just sit there. Don't just try to ram a pen down the person's throat. Start asking questions. Well, we can't do that on the internet, right? You can't go to the searcher and be like, hey, I see that you Googled, uh, you know, best sneakers for trail running. Uh, you know, let's have a, let's have a two hour talk and I'll ask you what you think about sneakers. You can't do that, right? So you can't, if the number one rule of sales is to build empathy for the person you're trying to sell to, and to figure out what what they want, then the number one rule of writing content is to build empathy for the searcher and figure out what they want. How do I know that's true? Google actually uh, uses something called dwell time. Now, this is debatable. A lot of people say this isn't true. Some of the best minds in SEO say this isn't true. I believe it is true just on past experience. Um, and I know Nick Frost, head of Google Brain in Canada, which is Google's AI subset, um, said that they do this and a lot of people say Google backpedaled and said well he wasn't authorized to say that that's not necessary it's not necessarily what we're doing but they they dwell the idea of dwell time is that when you or I Google a topic a bunch of stuff comes up we click through to one article and then we stay there for any length of time if it's five seconds then we come back to Google Google measures that five seconds and says Oh, Harrison didn't like that article because he came back in five seconds. If you stay there for 15 minutes, Google says, oh, Harrison really liked that article because he stayed there for 15 minutes. They record that as a vote for or against the article. They do that 7 billion times every single day. It's the most efficient voting booth in history. So if you can get people to stay on your page longer, you can rank higher in Google because Google sees that people are staying on your page longer. And if you can't, you're not going to rank high in Google. So if you don't empathize with your searcher, you're not going to rank. And then, okay, maybe I'll admit, like, maybe just for the sake of argument, I'll say, okay, maybe Google isn't using dwell time. Well, you better believe they're finding ways through machine learning and all kinds of other tools they definitely are, are using to figure out, does your article please the reader or does it not please the reader? So your number one goal is to please the reader and your number one way to do that is to have empathy for that reader. And so your goal is to start off by building empathy for your reader and that is the correct alignment for your brain when you sit down to research. You're not gonna sit down to research with a pair of Buddy Holly glasses on and a white lab coat. You're gonna sit down to research thinking, the number one question I'm asking is, I wanna rank for this term? Okay, how do I feel what my searcher is feeling? So true. I mean, that empathy thing. And I do agree with the dwell time. I, I feel like there's a reason that Google Analytics shows you how long people tend to spend on average on your page. So I agree with that. But the tying it into the empathy thing is so important. So you're, a, you're asking this question, what's the next step from there? Where do you go to find out how can I empathize with the people that are searching this topic? So now that you're asking the right question, now it's time to use the tools of SEO research in the right way. And, uh, and, and the, the right way to do that, and, and this, is, this is beautiful because if you can build empathy for your searcher, you can be like you know, the old J. Jonah Jameson style uh, newspaper editor who you know the, the young cub reporter would come in and say, I got a story, chief. 
and, the, and J. Jonah Jameson would say, it's sensational, or he'd say, nobody cares. You know, in an instant, he could answer that question because he had this empathy in his gut for his readership. He knew them in an inside and out. Now, how many of us have that? That's like a, a savant, like a Rain Man type talent, right? Not, not everybody has that. But the beauty of these SEO tools is that if you use them, the traditional tools of SEO, if you use them in the right way, you can build that sensation in your gut that you can then use to create content that is going to win over your searcher. So the first one you're going to want to use, uh, we can get into content strategy at the end if you're interested in how to pick the topics. But let's say you already have your topics. Um, so if you already have your topics, the first thing you can do is keyword research. And again, you know, spreadsheets, keywords, you know, science, nobody, <laughs> no writer wants to sit down with that in mind. But if you use it thinking about empathy, uh, how you're going to build empathy, you're going to do it the right way. So first thing I would do is sit down uh, in front of an online tool like semrush.com or hrefs, you know, that's spelled A-H-R-E-F-S.com. Two of my um, favorites. They're great, right? But they cost $99 a month. If you don't have that money, try uh, Googling free keyword tool. There's one that come, pops up from WordStream that I like that works okay. Uh, if you can afford the 99 bucks a month, you know, if you've got a client or a budget, do it. Go for my, my absolute favorite is semrush.com. I don't make any money for saying this, but I just, I love using the tool. <laughs> no, and you too. don't, yeah, it's, it's great, isn't it? It's so great. So you go in there and you type in a keyword and it's going to like, say you're writing an article about one of the, I write all the time about resumes cause I work for Zeti. And so the, uh, you know, say, say you're researching uh, how to write a, a resume for a software engineer. So you might go and type in SEMrush's search box. You might type in software engineering resume. And it'll return a list of, I don't know, 100,000 keywords or something like that. And you look at the, the top keywords on the list. They're going to be sorted by uh, the most traffic per month are going to be up top. So if somebody searches for software engineer resume, 10,000 times a month, there are 10,000 people a month that search for that term. That might be the first term in the list. And then the second one down might be, um, you know, how to write a resume summary for a software engineer. That might be the second term, maybe 5,000 people search for that. And, you know, 3,000 people search for software engineer skills. And it will show you a list of keywords. And you, you look at those keywords, you don't have to spend much time on this keyword research. You're just trying to get a glimpse into your searcher's brain with this part of it. So you look at that list real quickly and it'll tell you the search volume of each term in a different column. And you look at that just to say, okay, well, my reader cares most about these terms and a little bit less about these and a little bit less about these ones lower down. And I'm just trying to get a glimpse of the search intent. Why did my searcher sit down and, and Google this term? And, you know, spend at this stage, spend five minutes on this. Just glance through. You're like, oh, my reader cares about this and this and this. I didn't realize that. That's kind of counterintuitive. Good. Good for you. You figured out something. You learned something. You're not all the way there yet, though. Because the next SEO tool you're going to use, the research tool, is competitive analysis. And that's a fancy term. And it just means you're going to Google the term. You're going to type software engineer resume into Google. And, and it's going to return. Again, it's going to show you six billion results or something, you're going to click through to the top result. And when you do this, you're going to open up a Google Doc or, a, or an MS Word Doc, and you're going to start a bullet list. And you're going to, in your own words, type a very quick outline. Again, you're going to spend 
10 minutes on this competitive analysis, maybe 15, but you're going to type in a, um, your, your version of the outline you see in that number one article. So if you see the H2s or those are the heading, you know, the, the article, the section headings in the article, you don't have to type out exactly what they say, but just type out basically in your words what they say. Um, and what you think, leave out the ones you think are not important to your searcher. If you think they've added some things in there that are fluff, go ahead and leave those out. Just type in what you think is important. And then after you build that outline, click back to Google, click into the second article, skim through the, the headings in that one and look and see, is there anything in that article that was not in article number one? If so, add that to your little outline. Click back to Google, click into article number three. Look through that real quickly. Is there anything there that wasn't in articles two, one and two? If so, add that to your little outline. You're not doing this to reverse engineer those pages. You're doing it to get a glimpse, because again, Google doesn't need more content, it needs better content. So you're not gonna try to recreate the same page. You're doing this again to get a glimpse into your searcher's brain. And so into their thoughts. Why did they sit down at the keyboard? And, uh, and then the, the, the third thing you're gonna do is you're gonna do some social media analysis. And, and that's just going to Reddit. They call themselves the internet's front page, reddit.com, R-E-D-D-I-T.com. Uh, I call them the internet sewer. It's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. You know, you're gonna yeah, go you're in not there. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to post on there because there's 17 million people just ready to rip you apart. But you want to go in there. You want to. You don't even want to go to Reddit. You just want to Google your term, software engineer resume, and then the term Reddit. Or I like to be creative and think like, how do I get a, a job as a software engineer? Reddit. You know, Google that. Google your term plus Reddit on the end, and then you'll see some Reddit threads pop up in the Google search result pages, and click through to a couple of them. Again, you could spend all day on this. Don't. <laughs> this is not the thing to do. Spend about uh, 10, 15 minutes on this part too. You know, just go through and skim through and see, are there any things? Do I get a sense of what, what made my reader sit down? What emotion moved my reader to sit down in front of the keyboard and type this term into Google? Um, <clears throat> you know, you're going to see some turns of phrase in there. I can't find a job. It's so hard. I've been out of school for two years. I'm starting to go nuts. You know, you'll start to see these things and, you'll, and you'll, you'll see some good solutions and good advice from people who've already got jobs that you'll add that to your little outline. And you'll see some uh, turns of phrase that tell you what your reader is feeling and you'll, you'll preserve some of those to use in your article because the best way to show empathy for your reader is to talk just like them. So preserve some of those turns of phrase. You know, if you see them say, uh, I'll never find a job, great. Pull that out and stick it into your little outline. And like, hey, maybe I should use this as in my article somewhere. Uh, put it in quotes, you know, I'll never find a job. Like, oh, yes, you will. I'm going to help you, you know. Do that to show your reader. You know, the final part of this research uh, and analysis phase is my favorite. And this is the where you're going to get the most value. Now you've done your keyword research for five minutes. You've done your competitive analysis for five or ten minutes. You've done your social media analysis for five or 10 minutes. You now have a much better view of your reader. You have a much better empathy built for your reader. You've kind of had that qualifying sales conversation with your reader than you did half an hour ago. You understand your reader now, but the next phase is really important. And I call it the build a better mousetrap phase. You're going to, because again, you're going to have to go the articles you see one better. Now, 
they used to say that's by creating 10x content, you know, and that meant it had to be 10 times longer. And how much, how long can you keep doing that, right? There's going to come a point when you can't just write longer and longer articles. You'll be writing a, a novel. So, so, but you need, you do need to figure out how do I improve on what's already there? So you sit down and you use several tools of, uh, crafting your article for SEO. We, those are, these are not going to be SEO research tools, but there's several tools you can use to build that better mousetrap. And you can look at those existing articles again that you already, you know, your competition during your competitive analysis and ask yourself, did they do all, did they use all of these SEO article creation tools correctly or did they botch some of them? And if they, and you really hope they botch some of them because then you can say, oh, now I can outperform. I can, I can do better. I can have, we can get into this, but you, you know, I can have better layout. I can have better images. I can have more engaging writing. I can have better, better article intro, better section intros. I can have, uh, you know, more skimmable content. I can, there's so many little things you can do. And once you learn how to do those, you can look at the existing content and say, aha, I know how to beat you. It's so great. And I would love to hear more. What exactly are those things that you tend to find you could do better? Yeah. So these are really important. And, um, you know, in no particular order, the first thing is to show them, show the searcher. You, you have to understand that each searcher, each, each searcher is uh, primarily a skimmer. 80% of searchers will skim an article, but they won't read it. 80%. I mean, most of you write this awesome article, most people are not going to read it. 20% are going to read it right off the bat. You can turn skimmers into readers though, which is what you want to do. Again, you want to keep them on the page for that dwell time metric. So mm -hmm. Google will be like, oh, they stayed on the page longer. So um, the first way is to show them immediately that you understand. This is called the inverted pyramid. If you went to journalism school, you know what it is. If you didn't, you don't know what it is, but it's super simple. You can Google it, but it's super simple to describe. The inverted pyramid is just imagine a pyramid upside down. You put the most important thing your reader cares about the most right smack at the top in the first, you know, 50 to 150 words. Give them what they came for. Don't tease them. Don't try to ease them into it. Don't save it for the end. Give them what they asked for right away. You may worry, well, if I do that, they're going to bounce. Well, they're going to bounce anyway if they don't see it, right? Your goal is to give them what they ask for right away and try to keep them there. You won't keep most of them, but you can keep a lot of them if you give them what they ask for right away and then promise even more value. That's called the in inverted pyramid. Best way to deliver it is with an engaging introduction. You can Google search, you know, best article introduction strategies, and you'll come up with a list of like 20 of them. My favorite is called the problem agitate solution method. That's where you uh, start out by telling them their problem and, you know, you can tell them like, hey, you're trying to write a resume for a software engineer. You can't find a job. You know, you've been trying and trying. You, you submit 500 applications and all you hear is crickets, you know, or, or again, you grab something from, uh, from Reddit, turn a phrase from Reddit. Uh, I'm never going to find a job. You put that in quotes. Anything you can do to show you understand their problem right away. Get them nodding. Oh, yeah, this guy gets me. I get it. Or this girl gets me. I woman gets me. I understand. I'm, I'm in the right place. Then the agitate part is make it worse. So the problem is, here's your problem now. The agitate is, here's what's going to happen if you don't solve your problem. So that might come in the form of, uh, 
if you don't write a really good software engineer resume, you, uh, the, the, let me tell you this, 90% of, uh, of hiring managers in the software engineering field only glance at a resume for six seconds and they get like 200 resumes on their desk. So if you don't write that great resume, you're only going to get glanced at and tossed back into the pile with the other 200 resumes. And then you're never going to get a job. And then you're going to end up moving home and living in your parents' basement. Okay. So that's the agitate part. So problem, the problem they have now, agitate, what's going to happen if they don't solve it, and then solution. And you don't need to tell them the solution in the intro, but because that might be a little too hard. Like here's how to write a you know, software engineering resume in the first 150 words of the article um, of the content. But you need to prove to them or at least convince them that you probably have the solution in the article. And that may come in the form of, don't worry, I'm a certified professional resume writer. Or it might come in the form of, don't worry, I did six hours of research to learn the answer to your question. Or it might come in the form of, don't worry, I talked to um, seven resume experts, blah, blah, blah. You know, some, and I've seen this done in, in the form of a picture. I, I saw a, uh, there was something, I was, I think in my book, there's a, there's a part about, uh, I, I used an example of, you know, Googling the term, my dog is stumbling. And uh, there was one that, there was one uh, article that I loved because they just had like a flash video at the top of the article that showed in giant print, it said, you know, dog is stumbling. And then it was like, it's scary. And then it was like, we interviewed, you know, eight veterinarians on this and got great answers. So instantly, like when I was trying to read the section intro, in my subconscious, it's showing me this giant print and this picture of a smiling veterinarian. And I was like, oh, I instantly know I'm in the right place. Like, that was an awesome way to do it. They, they convinced me they had the solution with this flash video. But whatever you, whatever, you just have to show them, you know, I know your problem. I know what's going to happen if you don't solve it. So I can feel the churning in your gut or the, you know, I can feel you pulling your hair out at what's going to happen if you don't solve it. And trust me, I have the solution. Um, so that's the number one, and that took me a long time to say, but that's the number one thing. And look at look at the existing, at the competition. Did they do that? If they didn't, there's a way to beat them. Second way is, uh, uh, and by the way, you want to write that kind of introduction for every section, not just for your article, but you've got to write a mini version of that for your every section of your article. You've got to kind of show them, hey, Here's the heaven you're going to get if you read this section or the hell you're going to get if you don't read this section. You don't have to do a full intro for every section, but at least like a sentence like here's the good or the bad you're going to get if you do or don't read this section. To, again, try to turn those readers into skimmers. Um, H2s in your articles, the, you know, the section headings. Make sure you're putting a couple of the keywords here or there that the reader that you know your searcher was searching for so that your skimmer is skimming through and says, oh, I must be in the right place. I see my keywords. Um, try to write engaging and engaging H1. That's the title of your article. Make that engaging. Put the keyword in there, but make it engaging. Like show that empathy that you built in your H1. Show it in your H2s that you that you empathize with them in every section. Um, do better research. You know, there was a, this was in my book too. There was a, uh, I had to write an article, how much money does an NFL referee make for that money site, which this article no longer ranks, but for years it was number one. Because, most people, most of the articles online from ESPN and Forbes and Fortune and everybody else and CNN were saying an NFL referee makes $75,000. Well, 
okay, I clicked through to a few of, the, few of those articles and said, where are you getting that from? What's your source? And they were all kind of linking to each other. So I followed the train of links down until I got to this one article, like 10 articles down in the Google search results that said, hey, uh, we, are, um, we've, we found this $75,000 figure in this NFL document from five years ago. And I was like, okay, well, first of all, it's probably not $75,000 anymore because that's a five-year-old document. Secondly, I clicked through to that document and what it actually said, the, the actual NFL document there was, that was the source of all the existing articles was saying an NFL referee, an average NFL official, not referee, but an average NFL official makes $75,000. Well, what's the difference between an official and a referee? I Googled that. Well, it turns out a referee is actually, uh, and I'm, I hope I'm using the terms right. I'm not that sportsy, but but I think what it said was a referee is uh, is like the manager, and then but there are like ten different types of officials, all the way from that all the way down to like the line judge or whatever it's called, and and one of them's like the general manager, and another one's like the grunt labor employee. So then I sudden it suddenly hit me like there's no way there if they make if those. 10 employees make an average of $75,000. You can't say an NFL referee makes $75,000. That's like saying, well, the median wage of a Pizza Hut employee is uh, $75,000. So that means that, you know, a waiter and a general manager of a restaurant both make $75,000. That's ridiculous. So I came up with some estimates based on other businesses when you have a manager versus an versus a line level employee and what the difference in pay is and then the median of those and then wrote my article saying well if you extrapolate from that to what an NFL referee probably makes it's probably more like $500,000 and I said right in the article I don't know this but this is what it's probably this is the best estimate and all those other articles by the way that are telling you $75,000 are wrong because there's no way that what they're saying is right and I don't know what the right answer is but I think it's probably closer to this and my article in three days, three days later was number one because people were like, oh, this is better research. So again, you can build a better mousetrap through better research, you know, or through having a more engaging introduction. Um, you can do it through clearer, more concise writing. Maybe you look at the existing article and their writing is like, you know, the, they've got giant long blocks of text, really long sentences, and they're using really big words. And as you're reading it, trying to, re trying to skim through it, you're like, I can't even read this. This is like, this so does not empathize with me because it's totally saying, well, I don't care about your time. I'm going to make you read all these long sentences and big words. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm an English major. I love, you know, I read Moby Dick in college. It's one of my favorite books. I read it three times. Uh, I love long convoluted sentences, but let's be nice to the reader. Not everybody does. Most people <laughs> don't. Um, a great book to, to help you with this is called On Writing Well by William Zinser. And it's super short because he practices what he pe preaches. But his main point is, you know, don't say precipitation if you can say rain. Don't use a super long sentence if you can use a short one. One great tool for, for making sure you follow that message is called uh, the Hemingway Editor. You go to that online. They have, this, it's, they have an online version or you can buy for 20 bucks. You can buy the Hemingway app. Again, I don't make any money off it. But um, I'm not trying to sell it, but it, I use it all the time because you copy paste your text into there. It will flag in red highlighter the sentences it thinks are too long for readers to stick with. And it'll say, hey, you might want to break this up. You know, so you go through and you, it'll tell you, oh, you got 30 sentences that are considered too long.
And it'll show you, it'll also highlight, hey, you know, there's a simpler word for this one. Don't use the long Latinate root words in the English language like precipitation. Use the short Germanic root words like rain uh, or snow, you know, and, and uh, you can actually Google Germanic versus Latin, Latinate root words. And there's, there's a whole list of like on Wikipedia has like a whole list of like, here's the German root word and the Latinate, Latin root word. You can go and be like, oh, I should use that word instead of that one. Great idea to do that. But um, so another, another thing you can do is, um, you know, using keywords in your, I mentioned this already, use them in your H1, your H2s and in your bullet list, have bullet lists in there. Bullet lists draw skimmers in. A skimmer will stop skimming if they see a bullet list because they'll be like, oh, maybe I should read that, especially if there's a couple keywords in it that they recognize that they came looking for. Um, find out if maybe you can build the better mousetrap by giving more actionable advice. Sometimes people ramble and they do what's called academic writing where you're like, oh, I guess that's kind of interesting. But don't do that to your reader. They're not going to stick around if you just write things that are kind of interesting. With every section in your article, you should be building it around what is the takeaway that if the reader reads this section is going to make their life better? Um, another way is, uh, you know, more res more resources, better resources. If, if you can, you can go grab, uh, you can go grab .gov and .org and .edu resources that will really help your reader or apps or, you know, as you're writing your article, think is there, is there, are there materials I, and things I can tell my reader about that are really going to help them. Pop that in there. The more you help your reader, the longer they'll stick around. Um, also, uh, you know, those links out to those resources, especially if they're .gov or .edu or, or, uh, or .org, Google loves those. And they can tell you're helping your reader because they can see you're linking out to those sources. You're going to want to um, uh, try to think what else. Oh, yeah, better images and, and videos. You know, don't just put a – if you're writing an article about coffee, don't just put a picture of somebody sitting drinking a cup of coffee – Put it, make a little infographic, you know, go to fiverr.com and have someone make you a simple infographic for $5 or go to canva.com and make your own little simple infographic for free, you know, and, and pop that in there. And you can make a super simple one. That's just a picture with a bullet list and, and that will stop your skimmer from skimming and get them reading. Um, videos, you know, go to YouTube and find a video on your topic that will really help your reader and embed it in your page, in your article. Because those videos, are, you can use them. It's perfectly ethical. It's legal for you to grab them and put them in there. Nobody's going to sue you over it. Google loves it because they own YouTube to begin with. And it'll keep your reader there for long. There's one article on, um, on hip surgery that I ranked number one for, despite not being a medical professional, because I just packed it with videos of hip surgery. And I, I, I looked at the metrics for how long people stay on that page. They stay on that page for like 15 minutes. So, um, so, you know, try to think all these different ways. How do I build a better, better mousetrap? Maybe you can only do one way. Maybe you can just make the information clearer. Maybe you can only make the layout better. Maybe you can't do every way, but use those as your guide to think, is there one way that I can outdo what's already there? All you need is one way. There was a, I had to rank, I ranked number one for medical waste. <laughs> uh, no autographs, please. I haven't, I haven't signed the ink on my Pulitzer Prize yet. But I had to rank for that, and there were some great articles already. Everything else was already great. So the only thing I could tell was everything else was a wall of text. There were no good images. So I went to Canva.com. I made uh, little infographics with just a picture of a biohazard symbol, and I made little you know, bullet-pointed lists with large text and put those every couple of paragraphs through my article. And, and that, I'm convinced that's why I'm number one. That was the only way I could outdo the competition 
But if you can find one way, you can do it. You can do it. You may not because you may find that they, you know, the existing competition just has a higher domain authority or whatever. But if you, if you find a way to outdo the competition, you'll, you'll have a much better shot of ranking high. It's crazy interesting. So many incredible insights in such a, a quick period of time. One other thing that comes to mind from the book that, that really spoke to me was the fact that sometimes you'll get experts in an area involved. So for example, right now, one of my biggest clients is a, um, an organic mattress brand. And right now we're writing a lot of best of guys. So they want me to be helping out with writing the articles, which obviously like it's part of my job, like I'm happy to help. But one of the biggest things I told them to do is it's like, well, I'm not an expert on organic mattresses. You guys are, you have those years of experience. So you need to be reading these articles that are out top and think to yourselves exactly what you were just saying, what's missing. So sometimes if you're not the expert on something, bringing in a, a heavyweight on that topic at hand is another really effective way to see, all right, well, this seems to be missing this and this, because that's something that I wouldn't have recognized, but they clearly would. Yeah, yeah. If you're doing your research and you think that, uh, that you know, internet research isn't enough by all means an expert is a fantastic way to number one you know if you if you put that right in the intro that you interviewed such and such expert that's a fantastic way to show your reader you empathize right away and then if you put that you know research in the article that's a that's a great way to get across better to get better research it doesn't take as long as people think i mean you can reach out to five or six people on linkedin and be like hey you know go 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 google uh, go to Amazon and search for a book on the topic. Somebody who has a book is happy to talk to you. They're trying to sell their book. They're like, hey, I'll put my, I'll put your book link in my article if you'll talk to me. You know, go grab an expert, and uh, th it doesn't take long at all. Just do it a day in advance before you have to write the article, or two days in advance, and then you've got some great quotes that give a lot of flavor to the article and and a lot of better research and better advice. It's a great way to outdo people. And I had not thought to do what you just said. That's brilliant to go to your client and say, hey, can you read these articles and tell me what they're getting wrong? I've never thought to do that. And I'm, I am going to use that all the time now because that's brilliant. <laughs> good. Well, I'm glad that I helped you out too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it, that's the good thing. We got that, uh, that SEO synergy here. So it uh, <laughs> leads to some good breakthroughs. The amount of things that have really like light bulb over my head as a result of you speaking just now, it's like, pretty insane <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome yeah and it is a brilliant idea though to go to your client and say look you're the subject matter expert here look at these articles and tell me where do they fail because what a great <laughs> i can't believe that it's such a simple thing but most of the brilliant ideas are are simple that you just don't think of them uh but that's a brilliant idea go to the client tell them like hey here's three articles i want you to glance through and tell me like what do they get wrong what are they you know what are they not saying properly or can you give me better quotes or that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And like you said, the simplicity thing is so, uh, so often the case, which is actually like one of my favorite questions I love to ask my podcast guests as we kind of wrap things up here. What's something that you know now that you're surprised you didn't realize sooner? Something I know now that I'm surprised I didn't realize sooner, uh, as, as far as, you know, my own career or as far as SEO, uh, you can go either or. Or both. Uh, well, I think I've already I've already answered that question with regards to SEO. Um, something I I'm surprised I didn't know sooner. Uh, you know, it's just the idea of empathy, like that. That to me, not understanding earlier that 
it's all about empathizing with your search or like thinking at first that it was going to be about keywords or that it was going to be about, um, I don't know, something else, some tricking Google's algorithm into doing something. And then gradually realizing it has nothing to do with that. It, it's all about empathy and then being like, Oh, and then you can use these SEO tools to build that empathy. That was the biggest shocker for me that I was surprised I didn't learn earlier. But, um, as far as my career, it, it, it speaks back to something that you mentioned about how there's so much work out there. I didn't realize when I first started, like I said, I worked for $40,000 a year for this guy uh, who had this website. And, and he told me over and over again how overpaid I was. Actually, he, after the first year when I got him to, I got him to 300,000 readers a month in the first year, and he raised my pay to $60,000 a year. But he told me multiple times after that, you don't understand you are so overpaid. Nobody makes $60,000 a year for writing content from home. Like nobody, you don't, and, and like believing him and not, you know, being really disappointed in that answer, but at the same time, believing him and not understanding that there is so much work out there. You can, you know, you want to start out if you're, if you're doing this for a living, you want to start out making three cents a word or zero or 10 cents a word just to get a few, you know, just for the first few months, just to get some, some examples of your work up there online and published. But then like, you know, quickly move on and find clients who pay a lot more than that. And then, you know, even once you're making like six figures, even now, like I thought like, Oh, I, I didn't realize how, how cheap I was working. And even now, like now it's starting to hit me. Like I'm still, you know, I'm still working cheap. Like even if you're making six figures, you're still working super cheap. There are so many clients out there that need so much content all the time that, and there's a whole range of pay from like the little mom and pop who can only afford one cent a word all the way up to big businesses that pay $7,500 for a single article that I don't personally work for yet. But I, I, I'm, Net, just like you love networking with people, I do too. And I and I I've been talking to people the past few days who are like, oh yeah, I'm I'm retired now, but I was making seventy five hundred dollars an article for the last like ten years of my career, and I'm just like, holy mackerel! Like I didn't realize how much there's yeah there's the the, the economy is a is a big place right? It's a giant jungle, and there's everything from tiny little uh, microbes all the way up to you know giant elephants in it. So uh, you just have to have to kind of keep that in mind when you're working this as a career and kind of move your move yourself and don't stay stuck anywhere for for too long you you know stay stuck as long as you're learning um but then once you're not learning anymore don't don't be repeating yourself over and over again very true and yeah and thinking outside the box about how to get your foot in the door with <laughs> with those experts at hand it's uh the opportunities are out there to cross paths with some pretty incredible people so it's just yeah. a, like you said, it's just a matter of figuring out LinkedIn's a great resource a lot of the time to to bridge that connection with with experts across spaces. Yeah, yeah. I got I've enjoyed our conversations before this podcast and I've gotta have another one with you about how to leverage LinkedIn uh after this podcast because you uh, that's certainly something that I don't understand nearly as well as you do. So. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm happy to help with it. The good thing for me is it's like a lot of people will use your age against you, but in this case with social media, it's like, I've been on Facebook since I was 12 years old, you know, so it's like, <laughs> it's almost second nature to me at this point. Whereas somebody who's a little older might not have that like general understanding that I have. So it's uh yeah, I'd be happy to have that conversation. I yeah. did have one other question that I just cool. remembered that I wanted to ask regarding the SEO stuff. 
you said a lot of these clients that you've been working for, their main goal was to get organic traffic to make money off of ads. Does anything change if your main goal is to close a sale or to do something like that? When, when the conversion, the goal at hand is to, to close a sale, sell a product, get somebody's email, does that change the process of writing the article? Massively. And actually, I, I might have misspoken. The, the, my first client was ad-based. And since then, I haven't worked for any client that's been ad-based. It's all been a software as a service or, or trying to you know, bring eyeballs in for like top of funnel, top of the marketing funnel type of stuff, um, or you know, trying to write for bottom of the funnel. Or it's, it's all been that game of eyeballs in order to sell a product ever since then apart from you know i do journalism stuff i've written for the boston globe magazine and uh and i write for regularly for boys life but um but no all of the content stuff that i do and all of the marketing style writing i do is all trying to sell something at least trying to bring in eyeballs to sell and um to sell later and yeah it's vastly different i mean that one of my first forays after that first client i worked for a uh for a short time for a, a medical waste disposal company, which is why I ranked still number one for medical waste. <laughs> but, uh, but they started out saying, Hey, we've only got 8,000 readers a month. We want to get up to want to, we want to grow that. Can you do that in a short time? And I said, yeah, sure. So they paid me for a week to sit down and identify 20 topics that I thought they should have articles on that would get them a the most traffic. And I used SEMrush to do that, and I won't get into how, but uh, unless you're interested, but that's a, a different kettle of fish. But uh, but then um, you know I spent a month writing them 20 articles, and I got them from 8,000 readers a month to 45,000 readers a month in 20 days of work, 20 articles, and they were very happy with that. But they said, "Yeah, we've got to we've got to end this project." And I said, "Oh, why? You know, I thought you know I just." grew your traffic by five times, right? What it was like, I don't understand why you want to end the project. And they said, well, we're not converting any of it. And that was early days for me, but that was when it clicked for me that I, there's a big difference between just getting traffic and getting traffic that converts. So with a resume site, for example, you know, you might get a lot of traffic by writing an article on, you know, the best skills for XYZ career. You know, for every different job title, you could write a, a different skills article and you might get a lot of traffic. Like you might get the most traffic ever out of that, that you could get of any effort, but you're going to get a lot more traffic from writing an article, how to write a resume for XYZ career, right? Um, you're going to get more converting traffic. Sorry. You might get a lot less traffic, but it's going to convert. So yeah, absolutely. When you go into SEMrush, you're going to want to look and see, well, number one, you're going to want to have a, th a think about where each time you identify a topic, where is this topic in my marketing funnel, right? The, the top of the funnel is, you know, people are just kind of interested in your service or tangentially related to what you're selling. And the bottom of the funnel is, these are the people who are like, I must buy this now, you know? And, and so, so you're, you're going to try to think like, well, every topic you think about, where is it on the funnel? You know, and am I, am I writing this article in order to just kind of grow my email list? Like, pull people in who I can then say, Hey, by the way, why don't you sign up for our newsletter? Or am I writing this in order to be like, put a CTA three times in the article, like buy our service now, you know, buy the, buy our resume builder now. Um, what are you, what are you doing? And so, yeah, you absolutely have to think of each article you write, each topic you choose in terms of, 
is this going to convert or not? And then you have to do some A-B testing and you have to, as you go, you have to be like, well, we've noticed that topics like this tend to convert better than these topics. And you get into like how you write your CTAs, your call to actions in your articles. And then that you're also going to get into, um, there was something else I was going to put here, but it's gone. It's on its way to Mars now. So, so anyway, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot about converting and a lot about, uh, you know, what's going to convert versus what's not. And then, you know, maybe don't chase the super high traffic stuff, maybe chase the stuff that's lower traffic, but you know, Oh, I was going to say on SEM rush, it'll, it'll tell you there too. Like it'll give you a dollar figure for how much each keyword is worth. So that can kind of guide you and say, well, this is more of a, you know, a money keyword and this is less of a money keyword. Um, so you might choose topics that way as well. Yeah, super insightful. That cost per click is such a great insight. Even if you're not trying to do stuff with paid search, if something, if one term is $2 cost per click and another is 15, well, it's like, it's pretty clear that that $15 keyword is worth ranking for because it's leading to sales. So yeah, great insights. Tom, it's been so great chatting with you. You've, <laughs> you offer so much in that book and just in having dialogue. So uh, I'd love to give you a second to just kind of shout out the book and anything else that you're working on. Thank you so much for giving me the platform. You've, uh, you've got a great podcast and a, and a great manner about you as well. I think you're going to go, uh, go super far. <laughs> Thank you so career. much. This is, uh, this is called think like Google and, uh, how to use SEO and empathy to rank, convert and profit, no matter how much they change the rules. It's available on Amazon. All you got to do is go to Amazon and type in think like Google and hit enter and you'll see it come up in the, you can get either the paperback or the, or the uh, Kindle version. Once again, people, I can't emphasize this enough. This book has been incredibly insightful for me as somebody who's also doing some content writing. So got to check it out and, and definitely get in touch with Tom too. If you get the chance, he is just chock full of valuable insights. So thanks again, Tom. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much, Harrison. It's been so much fun talking with you. And I, I look forward to talking with you again off the uh, off camera. <laughs> Likewise. And maybe we'll do another podcast episode down the line. That sounds awesome to me. <laughs> Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode four of the Innovative Mindset with your host, Harrison Kelly. Please join us on your favorite podcast platform that's YouTube included for the video version of the show. So that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify as well. Don't forget to follow on Instagram and connect with Harrison on LinkedIn. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one.